Welcome back to Throw the Flag, Coach. Coach Jerry with you here. Hope you enjoyed week four of the NFL. I know I did. If this is your first podcast, we encourage you to listen to the early ones to get a bit more of a feel for how we are doing these. Thanks to those of you who have been shooting feedback to us through email and following us on Instagram and Facebook. So let's get going. Let's take a look back at week four. Wasn't that an amazing game? Buffalo-Miami, we knew it was going to be a heavyweight fight, but Buffalo knocked them out in the third round. They made an amazing statement. They reminded people that it's not just about Miami and Kansas City and Cincinnati, but Buffalo's still contending in the AFC. That was a statement win by the Bills. Denver, my team, the Broncos, won that pathetic bowl. They needed a 21-point comeback and additionally stupid coaching, but hey, a win's a win. And I'm throwing my first flag at Sean Payton, the winning coach. Why would I throw a flag on him? Because his comments were stupid. After the game, they've been struggling. He's been an arrogant piece of work the whole year since he signed there. And instead of saying, yeah, we got some stuff to clean up, but we're really happy that we got the win and blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's, well, there's going to be some tough film to watch. And, and my favorite, not that he needed the win, not that we needed the win. The group needed that. The group? Well, then what the hell's your problem? Why didn't you need the win? You're such a joke. You're a head coach. You're supposed to be leading this team. At this point, I'd almost rather have Robert Sala be the coach than you, Sean Payton, because you're good, but you're arrogant, and you're too stupid to see your big blind spots. Get your head out of your, you know what? Get back to work and fix that stupid defense. They're epically pathetic and futile. One of the worst defenses in NFL history. Get your act together. Now, of course, I'm going to throw the flag at Coach Uberflus and uh, their offensive coach for, I mean, their play calls were awful. But how do you not go for the field goal and take the lead? How do you go for it on fourth and one? You're an 0-3 team. You've been abysmal. You need this. And you go for it? Fourth and one at home against that team? That's a joke. So thank you for the win, Uberflus. But you're also, you deserve a flag and you deserve to be fired. Like just gone because you've been terrible. As arrogant as Sean Payton has been, you've just been incompetent, period. So flags on both of those teams, Denver and Chicago, for last week. But very happy and very excited that my Broncos are off the schneid. Now, heading to Sunday night, the Jets, who knew? They'd actually show up. Must have been Taylor Swift. Congrats to Zach Wilson for not stinking up the joint. Well done, even though the Chiefs still got the win. Detroit Lion fans, even those bandwagoners out there, come on out. That was a statement win on Thursday night. They still need to learn how to win. They almost left the, let the Packers get off the mat. And so they hung on, they got the win, but they got to make sure that they put teams away when they can. Dallas, after that terrible sight in the desert, they got their ship righted against the hoodie. Offensive game plan was solid. Uh, it was really good in terms of the defense and what Belichick was trying to do to stop the run. Mike McCarthy and Dak Pres Prescott executed a great short plan and their passing game was amazing and they took them deep and they obliterated the Patriots. And so that was impressive. So that offensive game plan was very good. Uh, and their defense really got after Mac Jones. I don't know what to think of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Titans actually showed up physically this week. I don't know what happened last week against the Browns. That was a whimper that they showed up with, but this week they pounded the Bengals. I don't know what to think of Cincinnati. They've, they're, they're up and down, and Burroughs is still hurt. Uh, we're going to have to see. They were supposed to be a contender. Not looking so good right now. Look out for that young Houston 
Texan team and their rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud. He looks amazing so far. Pittsburgh is in a world of hurt. But look at Houston playing hard with their young talent and with their young quarterback. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they're looking towards the halfway mark of the season. I loved the New York Giants outcome. That paper quarterback doesn't seem to be doing much. And I love that Seattle Seahawk Noah Fant run. And watching the Manning podcast when Drew Locke had to come in to back up for Geno Smith, throws a little five-yard out, and you thought, okay, is he going to get the first down? And then he runs, and then whiff, 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 and he keeps running, 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 whiff, 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 and then he falls at the one-yard line. A 50, I think it was a 54-yard receiving uh, pass for Noah Fant running down the sidelines on, on really a play that should have only been five yards. But it just showed how much the Giants just didn't want to tackle. And you saw the look on Eli Manning and Peyton Manning's face. I, I had the same look as I'm watching. I'm like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? He almost scored a touchdown because the Giants were falling all over themselves. They stink. They're terrible. And so my next flag, I'm throwing on Brian Dable. You have shown to be a good coach, but coach, your team wasn't ready. You had 11 days to prepare for the Seattle Seahawks at home, and that's what you show up with? And the worst part was when you were upset with Daniel Jones, and you knew the cameras were going to pick this up. You go walking over, you talk to him, and you're yelling, and then you throw the tablet. What on earth are you accomplishing with that? This is the guy that you wanted to hit your wagon to. $40 million a year, this was the guy you wanted to hit your wagon to. You, none of this surprised you. And so in front of national TV, you're throwing your tablet and you're giving them, you're basically throwing them under the bus, even though you didn't say it. But that's exactly what all the cameras are picking up. What does that accomplish, coach? Pretty stupid and pretty dumb not to know that that's what's going on. Instead of being professional, dealing with it back in the locker room, you acted like an idiot and a lot, like a lot of these one-year, two-year wonders who are then done and never coach again. So flag on, flag on you, Brian Dable. You deserve that. And I loved how the Jacksonville Jaguars won the first ever NFL game in Andy's room from Toy Story, especially when they run that pick six and there are flames behind the runner. That was super impressive. NFL history there. So that was my, those are my thoughts on week four. We're, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about where we at with our top five teams. All right. So after sort of the quarter mark of the season, I mean, we have 17 games now, but four weeks are in the books. And here are the top five teams as I see it, which means these are really the top five teams. Number five, the Philadelphia Eagles. Some people are like the Eagles. They're undefeated. Yeah. They're undefeated, but barely. They've been shaky in almost every one of their games, and I've been trying to give them a pass and give them a pass. They should have lost that game against Washington for how poorly they played at the end, and that's situational football. So they got the win in overtime. Good on them, but they were fortunate that they didn't lose to Washington. So they're just number five on my list, even though they're one of only two undefeated teams so far. Number four, it's going to be Miami. They were in the number one spot, and they got blown out. But they got blown out by a division rival and a top AFC contender. There's no shame in that. And they've only played one home game so far where they scored 70 points. So they got a lot still coming. Uh, it was one week. I still believe Miami is the fourth best team in the NFL. And number three, they were the first ones to show up last week. And I'm putting them up here at number three. It's the Detroit Lions. Huge division game win. They are in line for... 
winning this division for the first time in three decades. You know, actually, I'm not going to go too much into it because we'll spotlight them in the, in the divisional spotlight. But they've been terrible for the better part of 60 years. And now they're on the cusp. They look like they have all the pieces. Now, I only have them ranked third because they still gave up almost 40 points to Seattle at home. So I think third spot's a good spot for the Detroit Lions. But they are there in the top five for sure. Number two, you got to give props to the Buffalo Bills. They had the best win of the season of any team. Uh, they're legit on both sides of the ball. And the last three games makes you forget that loss to the Jets in week one. And then number one team, I think this is the obvious. They're undefeated. They're the best team by far from the beginning to now is San Francisco. They're physical. McCaffrey is playing out of his mind. Um, they've beaten the teams in front of them. Some good, some eh. Uh, but we'll see what happens this week. But they're clearly the top team after week four. Okay, so as you know, and I'm sure as you look forward to every week, we pick a topic related to football, uh, usually the NFL, but this week, uh, I thought I'd take a look at college football. There's been a lot of attention, a lot of viewership, uh, a lot of uh, great storylines, and so I thought this would be a good week to, to hit on some of the key points of college football. Obviously, we can't start anywhere else but Deion Sanders because he's what everybody's talking about. Uh, there is so much hype around Deion Sanders. The irony is it's not that big of a change. The team is okay. People are hyping him so much because it's Dion. It's Dion with the bling and Dion with the cool words and he's got his paparazzi and all his, you know, TMZ buddies. But he hasn't shown yet that he can coach or develop players. It's about recruiting the best players. And in his case, it's popularity. Guys want to play for him because he's Dion. And so he's got the bling and he's a Hall of Famer and all this other stuff. But he hasn't actually shown he could coach yet. Now, he's recruited good coaches, so I guess that's good. But let's see what he actually does with a real program. He hasn't shown that skill yet to develop. Both his kids look like good players, especially his quarterback son. Looks like he could be a top five pick. Um, but it would be interesting to see how were they developed. Was it Pops hanging out in the backyard teaching him? Or was he taking him to all these great coaches and great workshops and great camps and whatever? There's no guarantees that it was dad that did it. So I still haven't seen anything out of Dion to show that he can actually develop players. Now, when they started the season, they had that big game against TCU. And that was a legit win. They won on the road. They won barely. But that was a big win. TCU was in the finals last year. So, okay, that's fine. One win. But then they play Nebraska, who stinks. And you knew they stunk at that point. And then the teams they've played since show, Nebraska is a doormat. But when Colorado beats them, wow, look out. They're unbelievable. They're 2-0. Wow, look at what Dion's doing. That's a joke. And then they barely beat state rival Colorado State, who isn't even ranked anywhere. But all that Dion, he's the Messiah, the chosen one, who now had Colorado 3-0. Give me a break. It took till overtime to knock out Colorado State. And Colorado State's a joke. So what a turnaround. Colorado's now 3-0. They only won one game last year. Stop it. That's nonsense about this changing culture of a one-win team in Colorado. That's a joke. If this team had most of the players and coaches from last year, then that would be a reasonable assessment. But nobody from last year is there. Dion got over 80 new players to transfer over, and it's his entire coaching staff. It's great that they have started okay, but none of these folks were there before. Explain how that's changing a culture. The whole program is brand new. They didn't change a thing. All the previous ones are gone. They just happen to be in the same place in Boulder, Colorado. 
Dion struts these famous celebrities every week, former players at his games. It's a TMZ event. They get the celebrities. They get the Hall of Famers. They get all these guys who have the bling and whatever. None of them accomplish anything, but they get eyeballs on the TV. And so it's all about the popularity and the celebrity. Uh, I loved what the Oregon coach talked about. Well, they're after clicks, but Oregon's after wins. You know what? That's so true. Doesn't mean Dion can't coach, but it doesn't mean he can either. And so people need to take a breath and actually look at the football and and wait because when they start playing reasonable teams, they're not going to be in co- they're not going to be in competition. They're going to be behind the scenes, but at least they're getting eyeballs to to watch. Woohoo! Great, he's doing the same thing as Taylor Swift. Nice job. I was so happy to see Oregon beat the crap out of Colorado. Oregon was actually a ranked team. I think they're ranked too low at ten. I don't know why people were ranking Colorado at nineteen. Even Dion commented that he couldn't believe that they were over a 23-point underdog. Even that would have been a good bet because Oregon beat them by over seven touchdowns. So they smoked them. It was so nice to see a legit team put Dion and Colorado in their place. Now, Dion's, you know, Hall of Fame player. Can't take that away. Some call him the GOAT for defensive backs. That's not true. Uh, He was probably top five of all time. But for a defensive guy who ran away from making tackles, tough to argue that he's the best ever. There are people that have better stats and changed the game more than Dion did. So, hey, he was Hall of Famer. He was a good player. Fair enough. Dion has gone, I'll give him credit, he has gone to the bottom to start developing his skill in coaching. He started in high school. He started with black schools where others don't go. And then he's now in a real Division I Power 5 conference. So let's see. He's, he's gone up the levels. He's taken his turn. He hasn't just been given something. So kudos to him. And he's been winning. But again, a lot of it has been recruiting and bringing people around him. I want to see what he actually does when he gets players that he has to coach up and develop into, into, into championship level football. We haven't seen anything close to that yet. So that's enough on Dion. I've had enough of talking with him and seeing, seeing about him on ESPN and everything else. Um, I'm hoping it just returns back to middle of the road by December because his team isn't really that good. And everything right now is just about the hype. Now, I'm going to throw my first flag at a college football coach, and I'm throwing it at Mr. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, for hiring the moron Bobby Petrino. You know Bobby Petrino, the guy who was coaching it with the Atlanta Falcons and then in the middle of the season – didn't have the stones to actually face his team. He sent them a memo on the Monday after they lost saying, uh, yeah, I'm out of here. And then the next day he signed and was at a press conference with the University of Arkansas to coach there. So very nice. Good leadership there. He, he didn't even have the stones to talk to his players and tell them that he was leaving. He just left. And he shows up cheering on the Razorbacks and being a part of the state of Arkansas because, you know, they can coach an offense. Great leadership, great integrity, great character. Interesting, though, because then after a couple of years at Arkansas, he was found to have an affair with an intern, an intern student, who he gave preferential treatment to be an assistant of the football staff. Nice. Nice that AM thought that he would be a good model and mentor on a university staff. I guess the boosters don't really care too much about sexual harassment and the safety of female students on campus. Well done. But hey, old Jimbo needs to win some games down there at College Station, Texas. So here's what's disgusting about college and the college sports team. 
So for this week, I'm throwing the flag on Jimbo. I'm throwing the flag on Jimbo all year because he was a for hiring Bobby Petrino. But he actually got me cheering. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Go Alabama and go. I'm cheering for their old crotchety coach, Nick Saban. Come on, Alabama. Okay, now we're going to take uh, our weekly division spotlight look at the NFC North. And this, a lot of people call the black and blue division, a lot of history. It used to be the old NFC Central, or as Chris Berman would call it, the old NFC Norris division, highlighting NHL. So let's start again in alphabetical order with the Chicago Bears. Wow, that was bad. That was a brutal game. Uh, they at least scored against a very bad defense, but they scored against Denver, passing on the field goal, that would have given them the lead. Their play calling was terrible. They were, I don't know what they're trying to do. They're not trying to win. Uh, it was nice to see Justin Fields playing a better game. It looked like they were playing more to his strengths, so that was good. I think he's a good kid. He's got some raw talent, but the Bears have never shown that they could actually develop a quarterback, like since Sid Luckman in the 40s. So I don't know what they're going to do with him. I hope for the kid that you know he'll, he'll get some, some proper reps, maybe a better coaching staff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel bad for Justin Fields. Let's see what happens. They signed a lot of free agents this year. They were supposed to be an up-and-comer. They want. They were looking a lot better towards the end of the season, especially Justin Fields was looking a lot better. And you thought, okay, now they're going to take that next step. They slipped, and they've taken a huge step back. And now you're wondering, because they're so bad, if they're going to draft another quarterback next year. <sighs> you know, So here you got this guy who's a great talent. You traded up for him. You did all these things around him. And now you're looking at potentially top five and now drafting and starting all over again. I'm just glad I'm not a Bears fan. Uh, that, that's, that's a pathetic sight. And I feel bad for you Bears fans who have been there for a few decades waiting for uh, a decent team. Now we're going to move along I-94 to Motown in Detroit. Everyone's favorite, everyone's sexy pick for 23. Well, you know what? They, they showed up and they showed the Packers that uh, they're, they're the legitimate division contenders. And so when you think of this franchise, I can't believe this stat. They've only had one playoff win since the early 50s. Think about that. One playoff win since the 50s. So they don't know how to win yet. And so they got to keep working hard and they got to keep shutting out all the noise and the hype and continue to build on what they're doing. They need to commit to running the ball. They get away from that way too quick. Dan Campbell, you're supposed to be this like meat and potatoes guy. You're supposed to be this physical guy. That's supposed to be your philosophy. You have the best offensive line in football. You got to keep running the ball. Stop getting fancy and, and cute and throwing. The only reason the Packers got back in that game is because you started throwing the ball around in stupid ways instead of actually balancing it with the run. Jared Goff is proving his naysayers wrong, including me. I think he still has to develop to really contend, but... It just seems like the pieces are there around him, and it seems like he's got the tools. Let's see if he could do it. He's, you know, I, I still can't get out of my head what he looked like in Los Angeles, but he's looking like the real deal. And but as each week goes on, he's proving people wrong. Uh, their pass rush needs to keep coming after quarterbacks with their front four. It gives their defense the best chance to continue improvement this season. They got to be careful how much they blitz. They got to keep rotating and keep getting pressure with their four guys, and they're going to be in great shape for this division. 
Now, heading on the other side of Lake Michigan in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers, who were in that game against Detroit last week. Jordan Love looks reasonably good. Not as amazing as he looked week one, but um, he doesn't look as bad as he the reports were last year. He's not amazing. He was lights out in preseason. He's going to need time, but he seems to have the goods. He seems to have the tools and the pieces around as long as they don't screw it up. I think their defense is really overrated compared to the talent they're supposed to have. For the last now, we're hearing it now. This is the third year where this team is supposed to have this amazing talent from the front four all the way to the back end, and yet they're middle of the road. And when they play against good teams, they get lit up. So I, I don't get it. Uh, they, they were, this is one of the reasons they were supposed to be not spending money for Rodgers and the offense is because they were building a, building a balanced team. I don't think their defense is all that good. But let's, let's see what happens. It's still only four weeks. Um, I'm not a big fan of Matt LaFleur. Um, I hope he keeps the offense balanced throughout the year. And I think if they do that, I think the Packers have a legitimate shot at a wild card and getting in the playoffs this year. And then we got the Minnesota Vikings. The 2022 Vikings, you know, the ones that had the record comeback against the Colts last December and were an 11-win team and all this other stuff. Actually, they were a 12-win team. But they won a ton of close games. And part of that was the teams that they were playing weren't playing very well. And Cousins was almost typical Cousins. He throws a lot of completions to both teams, his side and the other side. And so you wondered, okay, can they really carry this forward to 23? Their defense was hidden. They had a great offense in terms of numbers and time of possession. Dalvin Cook, who was a pro bowler the last four years, well, they got rid of him now, and that's really going to hurt them. Carolina gave away that win last week. If they didn't do that, I don't know if the Vikings come out with any wins. They're lucky they even got that one win, and that was really on the rookie quarterback in Carolina. I think the most intriguing part of the Vikings season will be if they trade Kirk Cousins before the trade deadline. I think Minnesota's success will be beating out the Bears for third place in the division. Many of their games will be competitive, but I don't see Minnesota being anywhere near the playoffs this year. That's how I see the NFC North. I think it's going to be exciting to see some changes. Let's see if the Lions can seal the deal, because uh, that's going to bring a lot of fresh energy to November, December, January football and the playoffs. Now, as we turn our attention to week five, let's take a quick look at the top three games as I see it, because, hey, we're all busy, so you want to take a look at uh, the specific games that will have the best storylines and entertainment. Okay, I got to start with the first one, and I know this is personal to me, but I think a lot of people have some interest. It's the Hackett Bowl. You know, Nathaniel Hackett, the terrible Denver coach that couldn't even make it to the end of the season last year. And then the Jets recruited him because they want, not because he could coach, but because he could bring his buddy Aaron Rodgers over. And it worked, right? Until Rodgers blew out his, you know, Achilles in four plays. Um, and then Hackett has been actually pretty bad as an offensive coordinator. Now, decent game this past, but the thing that makes this sizzle is that when Sean Payton in his arrogance came to Denver and was talking about and being asked questions about last year and Russell Wilson, what are they going to do? Instead of just defending and talking about the great things that Denver was starting to progress, he ripped Nathaniel Hackett. He tore a strip and he threw him under the bus and talked about how, how much of a joke it was last year in the building and how they screwed everything up and it was so dysfunctional and all this other stuff. And the coaching was, was terrible. Worst coaching job ever that he had seen. Now, probably true. I would agree with it. But he didn't have to say it. He didn't have to be a jerk about it. What do you gain by doing that? Well, of course... 
that sent the shock waves. And so sure, the Jets started to respond back and even Aaron Rodgers wanted to, you know, defend his BFF and all this nonsense. Well, look at how the start has gone, Sean Payton. Instead of being higher, you guys are both one and three. And so here we go now where the Jets are juiced because they want to win. I know Broncos and Broncos Nation want to beat Hackett bad because of what he did last year because he was incredibly incompetent. But the Jets have a legit defense. And they're actually coming off their best game of the season so far, that Chiefs game on Sunday. So it's going to be interesting to see when these two coaches who've said stuff, you know, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, he was incompetent, but he was a nice guy. And he even took the high road when he was asked to respond. And so I respect him for that. But the fact is, he screwed up the franchise last year. And the last thing that the Broncos can do, this is our Super Bowl. They got to beat the Jets. They can't lose to Nathaniel Hackett's team. So will Aaron Rodgers visit Denver now on his way to the Pacific? I mean, people are giving him credit for why the Jets look good because he showed up uh, from California. He came to the Jets game. I mean, I think he just wanted to see Taylor Swift, but whatever. You know, he's such a mentor, great teammate, blah, blah, blah. So he was there and the Jets were so inspired. So, wow, they played their best game. So will he come to the Mile High City? Let's see. Any chance they can get Taylor Swift to come to Colorado? I don't know. Anyways, however that goes in terms of who's in the stadium, the Broncos have to win this. So there's going to be a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of edge to this game. So it should be entertaining, if nothing else. And both these teams stink. So I would think it should still be a close, entertaining game. So after the Hackett Bowl, I think one of the best games of the season, potentially, is the Sunday Nighter. The Sunday Nighter, they actually, you know, they actually have a good game lined up. It's the Cowboys at the Niners. And this should be a good game. Playoff rematch. Two really good defenses. Should be a physical game. Which Dallas do we get? The one that punched New England in the mouth or the one that slithered away in the desert against Arizona? That's going to tell us. It's going to tell us a lot about the top five and even what the NFC looks like going forward. That's going to be a really good game. And then the third one I got to call, and I don't know if you'd see this this way, but the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Buffalo Bills in London. Both these teams were expected to be contenders in, in the AFC. Uh, the Bills are showing it. The Jags are struggling. But you see elements. There's lots of talent on the field. It's the type of game that Jacksonville needs to be competitive in if they're going to take that next step to being real contenders. It's funny that they call this a Bills home game because the Jacksonville Jaguars have been in London for almost two weeks. So I don't know. But it should be a competitive game. And I don't know if they're doing it on Toy Story again in Andy's room, but that would be a nice little wrinkle if they do that again. So don't forget to uh, email us here at ttfcoach at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And with that, thank you for joining us for week four. And we look forward to, to talking to you again next week. Have a great week five.